Hello, my beautiful bins, and welcome to today's episode. So I'm just going to do a short and sweet intro because it's going to be, uh, I'm guessing it's going to start encroaching on nearly the hour mark this episode. Uh, but today I've got a bunch of things. I've got a brain fact. I'm talking about epigenetics. Literally just brushing over it so fucking lightly because there is a lot of so much to talk about when it comes to epigenetics. But I feel like it's a word that we hear a lot, so it's kind of good to just brush over the bare basics about what is epigenetics. Then I've got the topic of today's podcast, which is all about vulnerability, why we're so scared to be vulnerable, what we think is going to happen, why it's actually so good to be vulnerable. And I'm going to give you a few, a couple of things to, um, well, obviously things to think about around the topic of vulnerability and why it's important that you become more vulnerable but then I'm going to give you exact things that you can be doing if you want to learn to be more vulnerable with people that you have a crush on or someone that you want to get closer as a friend but you don't know how to approach it. And also how to become more vulnerable when you're talking about issues within a relationship in like with a partner, a long-term partner. And that can also apply to, you know, parents, children, everything. You know, every time I talk about a, a romantic relationship, it's not most of these things that we have in our relationships apply to all kinds of relationships, you know, most, not always, but a lot. So that is what the episode of today is going to entail. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get straight into the brain fact of today, which is epigenetics. What is epigenetics? So basically, it is how your environment and your behaviors can cause changes in the way that your genes are expressed. So they don't change your DNA per se, but they can change like how your DNA behaves or how your body is reading what the DNA is saying, okay? So it's not changing the actual DNA sequencing. But epigenetic changes, they're not always permanent, Um they can be changed, they can be reversed, depending on what we're talking about. Sometimes, you know, you've got these epigenetic changes that can't really be changed, but a lot of them can be, okay? Now, epi is kind of like, I think it comes from a Greek word, but it's like above or on top of. So, it's like on top of the genetics. So, it's a change that occurs on top of, like a kind of an, an added thing without changing the actual DNA itself. So the DNA structure, the sequencing is what it is. And then the epigenetics are kind of these changes that happen. And you've got generational, epi, like these generational things that get handed down, like generational trauma, that's epigenetics. It's something that's occurred in someone's life. And then there's been like a little edit or a little instruction that's been added on. And that's where people can, you know, like there's been studies on like Holocaust survivors and how that trauma actually does pass down through generations. Um, the same, I'll talk a little bit about like examples within animals and shit like that as well about epigenetic changes, but I'll say that in a second. Now, when we're talking about gene expression, when when you say oh, the gene is expressed or that gene is not expressed or it's it's you know a recessive or dominant, etc. But when you're talking about gene expression, it's what part of the gene is showing up, what instruction of that gene is being converted into something, such as a protein, but ultimately something that can be seen in the phenotype. And a phenotype just to quickly break it down, is a characteristic that can be observed in an organism, a human, an animal. It's a characteristic, um, you know, in structure or in physical appearance, things like height, eye and hair color, skin, blood type. It's something that can be observed. So that's a phenotype. So when when you talk about gene expression... Something is ex- the gene is expressing something which is getting converted and then it's ultimately seen in the phenotype. Okay, so when we look at DNA, 
you want to look at it as a set of instructions, basically. And DNA and all the information for all the organism, for you, you as a human being, all the DNA structure, all the information for everything is packed into every single cell, okay? So only the relevant information is going to be expressed depending on which cell it is and what its role or performance is and where that cell is in the body, okay? Um, You can't have every single part of the DNA and the genes being expressed in every single cell because then you wouldn't have different, you wouldn't have skin, you wouldn't have hair, bones, you know, brain matter, et cetera, et cetera. They all have to express certain things and not express other things in, in order to differentiate the cells. Another thing is that epigenetics can help determine which cells will become what in the developmental stage. So at the very, very early stages of embryonic development, you get, I was talking about this, I think about a month ago in the podcast, I was talking about neurulation and neural tube defects and things like that. But basically in the really early stages of embryonic development, before it's a fetus, you get something called germ layers and it's like these layers and that's what, what eventually forms the neural tube. But these layers each layer and the location of where the cells are in each layer are going to determine what that cell will become depending on which layer it ends up sitting in and where in that layer and where as it folds into a tube. If it's at the top of the tube, it's going to be something different versus if it's at the bottom of the tube. There's way more to it, but I won't go into that. But basically, when that happens, depending on where your location is, you will then, the cell, you, not you, the cell will then be told what it's going to turn into. It's kind of like that sorting hat in Harry Potter where at the very beginning you sit down, bang, you put the hat on, you're this house, you're Gryffindor, you're whatever. That's kind of what happens there in the sense that like depending where you are, bang, you get told what you're going to do. Okay, so you get sorted into all these different categories and that's where the cells find out if they're going to be a nerve cell, a brain cell, skin cell, organs, bones, etc. Okay, now that is a big role that epigenetics plays as far as in the embryonic development, huge role. But then you want to look at things that can influence epigenetics and well, epigenetic modifications in your adult life because you can have these changes throughout your entire life. So you've got smoking, that's a huge one, diet, whether it's changes for the good or changes for the bad, being exposed to toxins or pollutants. Now, this is where certain diets can cure diseases because they're basically altering the way that the genes are expressed or they can reverse abnormal gene activity. That's epigenetics, okay? It's where you can alter things based on your environment. So you can actually do things within your environment to alter how your genes are expressed. Diet is a huge one. Exercise is a huge one. Meditation is a huge one. Um, Smoking is a huge one. So this is how strong the influence of your daily behaviors and your routines can be. You can actually change how your genes are expressed. So it's not changing your DNA sequencing, but it's changing how they're expressed and therefore how you experience your life or your journey through this life. Okay. Now there's a lot of interesting things. I said that I was going to mention the animal thing, and this is where I want to talk about it. I had mentioned, I have a podcast episode that is about stress and the effects of stress on the brain. I can't remember what number it is, but that's literally the title, stress and the effects and its effects on the brain or something like that. And I mentioned, and this is the prime example of epigenetic changes being passed down through generations. This is a rat model, but this also happens in humans as well. So I mentioned in that episode that there was a study that was done with like rat mothers and their babies. And there was two groups. There was the group of rat mothers that were super, super stressed, had a lot of cortisol floating around their brains and they were, yeah, very highly strung. They had pups who were also super stressed and highly strung. And on top of that, the mums were not nurturing to those pups at all. So the pups then had a lot of cortisol pumping through. There was like a lot of problems here. Then you look at the other 
study group and it was these really nurturing pups and the and the mums weren't stressed at all. And they then swapped the pups who were with a really stressed mum who had a lot of cortisol and less cortisol receptors, receptors, so there was a lot of cortisol pumping through their brain. And they moved them across to the other group where they were then being nurtured and there were like full-on changes in their brain when the nurturing mum pup kind of took them under their wing and started like licking them more, giving them more warmth, caring for them basically like a mother normally would versus the other mum that was neglecting them. So you see already that they're born with these like they're higher stressed, you get these like neurological conditions that get passed down through the generation. And then the moment you swap them and put them in a different environment, you give them the opportunity. It doesn't necessarily happen that easy in humans. It's going to be a longer process and there might be some therapy involved, but you give them the opportunity to kind of rewrite what's being expressed and these changes can occur within a generation. There was another thing that, there was a study that Princeton University researchers like found out or noticed. And it was these worms that they were studying and if they ingested this harmful bacteria they would die like it was really bad but they found out that these worms would ingest this harmful bacteria but then very quickly lay the eggs before they died which was like they found quite interesting that they're wanting to lay eggs right before they die but then they found that the babies babies worm offspring whatever you want to call the little the little miniature worms the little baby worms would then know to avoid that specific bacteria even though the the mum worm was dead like the, the, how would they ever know to avoid that bacteria and that is a behavioral trait that the mother worm had learnt just before she died but then she passed that learning this like behavioral learning onto the baby worms so the baby worms are already have this epigenetic modification or if you want to call it um, evolution and that then changed how these worms like what they eat and what they do so it's really fucking interesting um this paper was published in cell don't know what the paper's called i can't remember but this is in 2019 so that is the brain facts for today hopefully you found that interesting i just tried to brush over it as as like succinctly as possible but I understand that I probably will need to later on be doing an entire episode on epigenetics because there's so much more involved in it okay so let's get straight into the topic of today's episode now today's episode is all about vulnerability now you might have heard a whole bunch of people talk about vulnerability the person that comes to the top of my head when we speak about vulnerability is Brene Brown she's absolutely phenomenal if you haven't read her stuff and you're interested in vulnerability I highly recommend that you check out her stuff. She's phenomenal. So she does, uh, she's got TED Talks, she's written books. She's fantastic. So if you're really interested in what I have to say around this topic, I would also encourage you to do further research by looking into Brene Browns. And she's not the only one. There's heaps more, but she'd probably be at the top of my list as far as talking about um, emotions of vulnerability. And she talks a lot about shame as well. So she's very good. Anyway, so let's talk about it from my perspective. What is... What I'm going to be talking about is we're going to be breaking down firstly what is vulnerability, then why it is that we avoid feeling vulnerable and things are going to, that are going to put us in a vulnerable state, which kind of is semi-intuitive. It's not like we're stupid for doing it. But then I want to talk about um, what you actually gain from being vulnerable. I think we think like – I'll talk about like what we think is the worst case scenario if we're vulnerable – but then I'm going to talk about what you actually end up gaining, which is pretty opposite to what you think is going to happen. And then I'll go into why it's never actually going to be a hindrance and I'll explain why that is. 
And then at the end, I'm going to give some tips on what you can start to do in your life right now, today, with the people around you to become more vulnerable um, for two things. Number one, to become more vulnerable for people that you like have a crush on or that you want to get closer to that you don't really know that well. So this could be an actual romantic crush and you're like, well, how do I how do I step into that vulnerability? I will show you. And this also is for people that are like an acquaintance, but you would love to for them to be more of a friend, like a close friend, instead of just like this person on the peripheral of your circle, okay? But then I'm also going to be giving you hints on how you can all also become more vulnerable to people that you're already very close with. This is mainly your romantic partner, but it can also be your family members, your children, your parents, siblings, that kind, those kinds of relationships where it's kind of, it's almost harder in a way because you've set this standard for such a long time with people in your life. You know, it could be like your children and you've never really opened up to them and now they're in the 40s, you know, or it could be your parents and you feel like I've never felt comfortable to really open up to you and you're actually someone that I want to open up to you like you're you're not a toxic person you're a great person but I've just we've just never had that dynamic and I want that so I'm going to be covering a whole bunch of different things so hopefully I can you know get through to the what you can do bits relatively soon okay so the first thing that we're going to do is talk about um, what is vulnerability the definition of vulnerability is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. So let's, obviously I'm going to be talking about emotionally in this podcast. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what that would mean. So if you're in a state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, it means that you are in an open state. So imagine if you're talking about physical vulnerability, it's this idea of you're putting yourself out in the open. You're putting yourself in a situation where you might be able to explore further, but you're also now risking. It's like risk for reward. Okay, so if you look at that as far as like an army trying to go further into ter- some other territory, they're now exposed. They're vulnerable. They might gain something, but they're vulnerable. So they could get hurt. Okay, now if you look at that from an emotional standpoint, it's this idea of letting your guard down. Okay, my guard is down. I might gain something. I might get that person that I love. I might, you know, get people to be impressed by me. I might get people to laugh at my joke. But then the downside is if people don't laugh at my joke, if they don't fall in love with me, if they don't do these things and my guard is down, I'm fucked. That's kind of the concept that we have. We've allowed ourselves to be exposed for who we are, this facade, this wall has come down and now people can see who we are and now they can pick apart the real me because I've dropped I've dropped that wall I've dropped that sheet and that's what's going to happen so second to that why do we avoid vulnerability well it kind of answers the question itself because we're thinking if I'm fully exposed and I put myself out on a limb and somebody doesn't positively respond to that I'm fucked or like what am I going to think about myself what does that mean about me you start thinking especially if you're someone that places value on other people's opinions if you especially people that you adore or people that you look up to or people that you have a crush on if you then expose yourself like your true colors who you are that you know the 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 your deepest emotions all of that and they turn around and like ah, not really interested not in, I'm not really interested in you then you think well I now feel shit about myself. I'm less of a person. Your self-love goes down. Your confidence goes down. That's what you think is going to happen, right? We see it as like, we see vulnerability as like a window or a door to pain. And that's why we avoid it, okay? But emotional vulnerability 
which is what I'm talking about here, is very confusing to us because the truth is that we are emotional beings all the time. Even when your wall is up, that's very emotional. To have your wall up is very emotional. So you are exposing aspects of your emotion all the time. And when your walls are up, quote unquote, you're exposing that side of your emotional portfolio, if you want to call it. You're saying, I obviously have a reason to be guarded. And that tells a story about you. You're always, whether we want to or not, we are emotional beings and we're constantly showing sides of our emotion. Now, the only time that you're not showing sides of the emotion is when you're pretending to be something or someone that you're not. And if you're really good at it, then people struggle to see the you behind that. Okay. But whether you like it or not, whether your walls up are up or not, you are always, always going to be exposed to the possibility of being attacked or hurt emotionally, whether you front up with vulnerability or openness or whether you don't, okay? So you're always going to be kind of in that emotional firing line because we are emotional beings. The only way to not be in an emotional firing line, so to speak, is to not have emotions, is to never fall in love with someone, is to not give a fuck about your friendship groups or your family, that if they were to turn around and abandon you or hurt you, it wouldn't affect you. And that's that's just not the case for most people on this earth, okay? Most people on this earth, we have feelings and we care. So whether you put your walls up or whether you don't, you are still in the firing line of getting hurt. That's, I think, the most important thing that I have learned in my life when I've gone through heartbreaks and this and that. It would take me so long after a heartbreak because I would have my walls up, my guards would be out, and the only person that suffered with my walls up was me because I wasn't open to these, to, to you know, growing relationships and, and because I'm like, they're going to hurt me. But then what was happening? I was hurting myself. I wasn't getting the benefit of these new relationships that could be flourishing, not even just as a, a romantic relationship, but even friends and certain situations or guys that would approach and be like, hey, let's hang out. Not interested, not interested. Shut you down, shut you down. You know, so that's, I ended up completely hurting myself and everyone around me is like, okay, fine, she's obviously not interested. And they're on their merry way. They probably forget all about it in a couple of days. Whereas here I am like festering, festering is, oh my God, is my guard up, are my walls up, all that kind of stuff. You, you only end up hurting yourself. You actually gain nothing. Because what you actually have to be focusing on when it comes on vulnerability is, will I be okay if this doesn't work out? If you're setting yourself up, and you're telling yourself, if this doesn't work out, I'm fucked. I don't know what I'll do. I'll have to move countries. I can never show my face again in this workplace. I, 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 all these things that you can't do. Then, then yeah, it's going to be really difficult for you to, to move forward. But if you say to yourself, being hurt by others is pos- most likely inevitable, not by every person, but being hurt in life by somebody is inevitable given that you can't control how other people think or feel. You can't say, I want you to like me, you're going to like me, that's it. You you have no control over how somebody acts or feels, okay? And on top of that, you can't expect other people to think and behave the way that you do. So given that knowledge, it's inevitable that at some point in your life, somebody is going to do something to either hurt you or disappoint you. That's a fact. So now that we know that fact, and now that you're well aware of that fact, not expecting it, but aware of the possibility of it happening to you, then you can do something with it. You can think, okay, given that I know this information, I have to understand that I can't be putting all of my, okay, if this happens, I'm fucked. If you say, if this happens, instead of saying, if this were to happen, I'm fucked, you would say, if this were to happen, that's part of life. It would fucking hurt. And I would mourn that relationship. 
But it's a part of life and I know I'm not fucked because it happens every single day to every single person. You know, it's constantly happening around the world where people are getting hurt. So then you you move your attention to, okay, I know that if this does happen, let's ideally it doesn't, but if it happens, I know that there's, you know, people have their own ways of thinking and their own reasons for doing things and I will be okay. Not instantly. I might have to grieve it. I might go through a tough time, but I will be okay because I've got my own back and because I understand how the world works and there's ups and there's downs. People hurt you, people love you. That's reality, okay? So you try and remove this intensity around how much you're going to just, your life will end if this thing doesn't work and you start to get more and more comfortable with the idea of being vulnerable because once you realise that whether you're vulnerable with how you approach someone or not, you can still fall in love. You can still catch feelings for someone. You can still then, due to that, get hurt, okay? So that is, we avoid it because we want to avoid suffering, but it actually doesn't work when it comes to vulnerability. It, that, that just, it never works for us. And it actually ends up hurting us so much more. What you actually end up gaining from vulnerability is so much, okay? So firstly, you're going to save yourself so much time, so much energy, wasted energy, so much um, of this neurotic chat in your own head, okay? People, when you are not vulnerable, it's because you think people aren't ready to see the the real me yet. Or worse, you think I'm not good enough, just me stripped back. So I need to add some layers and pretend to be something that I'm not in order to be good enough in that person's eyes. Okay. Which obviously that's really sad. And my whole podcast is geared, geared towards helping you improve your relationship with yourself. But put that aside, as sad as that is, What's also happening is that people are not given the opportunity to get to learn who you are and to get to know the real you. So as much as it sucks, if this person's never going to actually like the real you, you are delaying the inevitable. If this person isn't a match for you, so you're like, oh my God, I'm so into this person, but they're not a match. So I'm going to pretend that I like this sport and I'm going to pretend that I like doing these things and I'm going to pretend that I'm really extroverted when in reality I'm not. And out of chance, this person turns around and thinks, oh yeah, we kind of vibe, this person's pretty cool, then here you are delaying the inevitable because eventually it's going to come out that you are not those things and you're going to turn around one day and be like, to be honest, I fucking hate all this shit. I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. I'm only doing this because of you. And then you end up, you know, almost resenting them and they're like, what? Well, how was I supposed to know? And then they realise who the real you actually is and then you start to try and form a relationship based on that and it was maybe maybe never going to work because you were putting all these layers that weren't actually you in order to get them to like you. And maybe they liked those superficial layers, but when those layers dropped off, it's like we're not actually a match. We actually don't really get along. Whether it's our personalities, whether it's our humour, whether you're pretending to laugh at all my jokes because you just wanted to, you know, me to be impressed or think that I'm funny around you. All these things, they eventually fade off. And then you've already caught feelings. So while you're trying to be like, okay, well, this is actually the real me, you're already in love with this person now. This person might turn around and be like, well, I'm I'm not into that. I'm not into this, you know, whoever you are. It's not saying you're not good enough. I'm just not into you. And so then what happens? You are so heartbroken because you've just spent all this time, you know, leading this person, trying to get them to like you, trying to get them to like you. And then, you know, not showing the real you, wasting time, And then by the time that person discovers the real you, they may or may not like you. Like if you think about, if you have something to hide, it will be discovered eventually. So why hide it? 
If you think, oh, I should be hiding this, no one should know this about me, or I'm really dorky, or I'm this, or I'm that, how long are you going to be hiding that aspect about you? You know, if you're not willing to embrace it, you definitely shouldn't be hiding it. It can be a part of you. I'm not saying that everything that you don't love about yourself, you have to embrace, embrace. I mean, ideally, if you can, that's great. But you don't have to. But it is a part of who you are. And you need to lay as much out on the table as possible. And that is being vulnerable in the sense of like, this is who I am. These are the things that I'm working on. These are the things that I'd like to change. But just being honest with who you are. If you're like, oh, I'm this person, oh, like, yep, yep, I go to the gym every single day, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning every day. When you don't and you hate it and you're actually a night owl, then you're just delaying the inevitable. You're going to save so much time being like, you know what, at the end of the day, this is fucking me. These are the things I want to change. These are the things I'm trying to work on. But really, this is just the working progress of me. And then if someone doesn't like you for you, it's, yeah, it sucks, but it's kind of like, well, you were never going to like me. So you might as well just be on your merry way and I'll be on mine. The second thing is that you actually end up gaining so much respect for yourself. When you start being vulnerable with other people, you gain so much respect for yourself because you're saying, if you don't want to connect with me at this level and I've been so honest with you about who I am, then I have nothing else to give nor do I have anything to regret because I've laid everything out on the table. If I've laid everything out on the table and nothing has been left unsaid, and I've just been honest with who I am, and you turn around and say, not for me, not really interested, then you think, well, I've got nothing to regret. I really gave it my all. I gave it my all. I'm not going to sit here thinking, oh, but they didn't see the real me. Oh, I, I was trying too hard. I was, I was trying, I was doing this, I was that. I was really uncomfortable because my walls are up. I wasn't really me, so I was really awkward. You have not, none of that. You have nothing to regret. You think, well, I genuinely gave it my all. And if I didn't work with me being me, giving it my all, then I'm comfortable to walk away with no regrets and when you can look at a situation and say I did what I could even if it didn't work I know I, I that was good on like that was a fucking good effort I really put myself out there and if it doesn't work I can turn around with my head held high and say that was really me that was the authentic me and I respect that about myself I can really respect that I'm not going to walk away being like I should have done this I should have done that because there's no should have if you're being who you are from the get-go. However, if you're vague and unclear and you're putting walls up, then what's really happening is that you're actually abandoning yourself because you make all these excuses as to why you should still be hanging out with these people, why you should still convince these people that they should like you because they haven't really gotten to know the real you. So I'm going to try and get them to like me by showing me in this light and me in that light and me in that light. You know, you're actually abandoning yourself because when you're trying to convince someone to like you, you are actually trying to convince yourself that you need that person to like you in order for things to be okay. And that is not okay. Because you have to realize the more I'm insisting that this person has to like me and the more I layer on all these things and put up all these walls and not really expose myself and who I am, I'm ultimately telling myself that who I am with, my, with everything stripped back is just not, not good enough. It's not good enough. So I need these people to say to me that they like me in order for it to be good enough. And they're not going to like me just like that. So I have to pretend to be something else or pretend to be someone else and I'm not going to be vulnerable and I'm going to have a shield in front of me the whole time. That's what's happening. So it's like this messy fucking situation because you're denying who you are. You need validation from these people. You're then pretending that you're somebody else, but then you're not really letting them in and then you're shutting them out, shutting them out because you've been hurt. And then you don't ever get to learn who that person is 
and then you never get to show them who you are, okay? So what you're actually gaining is self-respect. You start to get more comfortable in your own skin. The more you practice vulnerability in small settings, in large settings, you start to get really comfortable in your own skin. And this then teaches you how to say no. It's so much easier to say no when you are someone who's okay with being vulnerable because you're like, this person's not going to be happy with my answer, but I'm still willing to give them that answer, you know, because it's me. It's the truth. I just, I just don't want to do these things. I just don't want to go out to that place. I don't want to X, Y, Z, you know. So you become a lot more comfortable in your own skin. You're happy saying no. You're happy talking about what you like and what you don't like and you're not embarrassed that they might not agree or you're not embarrassed that they might turn around and make a comment, a joke or an actual nasty comment. You're like, well, it is what it is, you know. It's this genuine being okay in your own skin. That's what you gain when you start practicing vulnerability in all these different relationships. And you, like I said earlier, you fucking save a lot of time. You save a lot of time, you know, because you don't have to deal with this kind of um, back and forth of like, this isn't really me, this isn't. Because you honestly think that that you're going to suffer so much more if you're vulnerable, but it's actually the other way around. You end up suffering more when your walls are up because firstly, you push away really good people when, in your life. And then when someone is good and, and does try and stick around, but your walls are up, you're pushing them away, you're not showing them the real you, then what ends up happening is they give up. They give up trying and then they leave. And then you're really hurt because you're thinking, oh, my God, if this person can't, can't stick around when I'm protecting myself, imagine what would happen if I didn't have my walls up. But the reality is a lot better would happen if you didn't have your walls up. You'd save a lot of time and you wouldn't be in these situations for as long, okay? It's never going to be a hindrance, never. Being vulnerable is never going to be a hindrance because your focus should never be I, I never want to get hurt. You, you should never live your life thinking, I'm going to do everything in my power to not get hurt. Because then you live smaller. You stop experiencing things. You stop putting yourself out there. You stop letting people know how you feel about them. You stop experiencing the highest of emotions, which is love and joy and happiness. You, you kind of stifle that down. You're like, God forbid I celebrate something too much, you know, because then what, what if it all comes crumbling down? God forbid, you know, you stop celebrating the highs of your life. When you've got a crush, you, you're like, oh, don't get too excited about that because this, because of that. You know, when you're vulnerable, it's the opposite. You're open to these things. It starts flowing, you know, and, and people respond positively to that. And we all know it. We all know people who are vulnerable and open with who they are. They're really comfortable in their own skin and they're a fucking joy to be around. And that's because they've accepted vulnerability. They practice vulnerability the whole time. They're happy to acknowledge those really high moments in life and to celebrate them and to not think, you know, what if this went goes wrong and what if this happens and what if, what if, what if. They don't do that, Okay. Now, what can you do to start being more vulnerable with like people that you have a crush on or people that you want to get closer to? Like it could be like friends, basically any, no, anyone that's not that close to you, okay? The first thing you can do is be the one to invite somebody to do something or to invite somebody to go somewhere. Okay, that's the first thing you can do. You don't have to say, oh my God, I'm in love with you. Did you know that? I'm fucking in love with you. I've got, I, I, you know, stalk your Instagram every night. You don't have to do that. It's literally as simple as, what are you doing? How are you placed next weekend? I'd love to hang out. Simple, you know. Um, the next thing is, stop playing games. So unless you're actually here to fuck around, 
and you legitimately don't want to pursue anything more than just sexual fuck around here and there. We're here for good times and I never really care about getting to know your emotions. Then play games. You do you. But if you like somebody and they've texted you, I'm telling you, this is when you don't play the games. I think a lot of people are really big on like, you know, you have to play the game. That's just, that's how it is. That's how it is. I disagree with that. I totally disagree with that. I'm more than happy if you, well, I mean, you do what you want. I'm more than happy as long as you're happy. But I am totally cool with the fact that you might want to play games when you're fucking around with multiple people. You don't want to settle down. You're just here to have a good time and you, whatever, whatever. That's a different topic altogether. But if you're in love with somebody, you really, or you've got a crush on somebody, you really like them and they send you a message, don't send the wrong message. You reply in a timely manner. It doesn't have to be in three seconds, but you reply within the hour, you know, because you're showing them you're comfortable enough to say, I actually like you. Do what you want with that information, but I'm letting you know I like you. And based on how you respond to me after I've let you know through my actions that I'm interested in you, that I have time for you, that I have enough time that I'm going to prioritize replying to you, then how you respond to that is going to determine how I continue to engage with you in the future, okay? I, when I was younger, would be so embarrassed to reply too quickly or this or that or show that I like them first. Don't let them know that you like them. You don't have to let them, you don't have to act obsessed, but it's healthy to let somebody know I'm, I'm interested. I want to see you. I enjoy our time together and I want to, to have more of that. And that way, if they don't want it, no love lost. You can step away, okay? If you play the games, you're kind of saying, oh, like I'm not prepared for the truth. No matter, like preparedness for the truth, it is what it is. The truth is going to come at you whether you want it, whether you don't, whether it, you know, no matter if it's positive truth or negative truth. I actually like you, I don't like you, okay? You will deal with the truth. You'll always be able to deal with the truth. You will always be able to handle the truth. So stop participating in these behaviors that tell yourself that you won't be able to handle the truth, okay? Stop playing games. If you're interested, make it known in your behaviors that you're interested. Stop leaving people on red. Stop waiting till the next day to reply. That's ridiculous, okay? Now, the next thing is let people know that you're interested and you don't have to say, I've got a crush on you. I've loved you since then. I'm actually in love with you. You know, it might be too soon to say those things, but I think it's important that when you hang out with someone, it's really nice to say, you know, it's really nice and healthy to say, I, I really enjoyed spending time with you. That was awesome. Are you open to hanging out again? Boom, put it on the fucking table. You know, you will find out so much faster if someone is into you or not. Like you think that you save yourself emotions by, by you know, oh, don't put it out there because what if they say no? What if they say no? Good, good. What if they say no? Imagine if they said no, but here you were delaying it for another month. Waste of your time. Waste of your time. If they say no, you should think, what if they say no? Well, if they say no, then I've only been in this thing for about about a week or two. Phenomenal. I cut it off. It won't be pleasant. I'll probably have a mini meltdown, but I'm fine. And it's better that than it drag on for five months, you know? The next thing is, if it's like a friend that you want to get closer to, a really good way of showing vulnerability to a friend that you want to get close to is asking them for their undivided attention because you want to ask them advice on something or because you'd like to tell them something. That's a really good way to let somebody know that you really respect them and that you really, you know, that you, you hold them in high esteem. 
If you say to someone, hey, do you mind if I have your undivided attention for a second? I just really would love to hear your opinion on this thing that I just wrote or I would love to get your advice on this thing that I'm thinking about and I know that you're good at X, Y, Z. You've asked for their undivided attention and you've told them about something and you're asking them for like advice or an opinion or something like that. That's a really, really good way to start opening up the gates of a friendship, you know, because then that person thinks, oh, and then they start getting interested and they start investing more time in you and they start, you know, paying attention to what you're doing and they start caring. Or they could just be absolutely not fucking interested and blow you off. And then in which case, again, you get your answers sooner rather than later. Um, and then another thing is to really learn, this is with friends as well, this is to learn how to give a compliment in how somebody makes you feel. Some people have best friends for decades and they still are shy to give a compliment to their best friend about how they make them feel on a regular basis. You know, pick up your phone and text some a friend and say, I just want to let you know that when I hang out with you, you have this amazing ability to make me feel X, Y, Z. And that person will be like, wow, either I feel the same way, yeah, fuck, or, oh, my God, I never knew that. I'm like that's a really nice thing to say and you'll literally make their hour or their day or their week. It's so nice to start, like we need to do it more where you verbalize how that person makes you feel and what you like about it and what it means to you. And that's such a good way to make a friend or an acquaintance or someone that you're trying to get closer to to make them realize the impact that they have on your life and they really people respond very well to that and often they want to get close unless you've completely read the room wrong and they're fucking not interested in hanging out with you at all but in general you're probably going to read it semi right and they're going to respond by wanting to get closer to you okay now let's talk about vulnerability with people that you are in a serious relationship with I think that often when we speak about vulnerability in an intimate relationship, especially someone that you've known for a long time, I think often it also comes layered with really intense emotions, okay? Because often you're like, oh, this person just doesn't get me or they're not understanding this or I'm really angry about this thing and I've been kind of, it's just been sitting dormant and I've never really opened up about it. So often when you talk about vulnerability in a, in a you know, like a long-term relationship, a long-term marriage, it often is layered with um, negative feelings and negative thoughts, this idea of like maybe that you're hurt or that you're resenting them or that you wish that they did certain things or said certain things and that they don't. Um, so the first thing you've got to think about is when you are approaching your partner about something that's really important to you is – I mean, you should always feel that you can approach your partner whenever. But if you are in a heated argument or whatever and you want to open up to your partner about something that has hurt you, especially if it's not relevant to the argument, I would refrain from doing it in that moment because the best way to open up the gates of vulnerability mutually is to s approach it from like a calm, safe space, okay? And this is best done when it's not in conjunction with an argument about something. You know, when you argue something, I'm so big on ensuring that you only pull information into an argument that's relevant to the thing that you're arguing because then it can get really messy when you pull something out of the blue that really pissed you off a long time ago and throw it in there because your partner feels like, well, here I am trying to argue something really 
like that's actually quite valid in my opinion but you've now just thrown this other thing on top and now the thing that I was trying to address now cannot be addressed because you've brought in this thing that's like this big elephant now into the room and now you know but you might see that as like well that's me being vulnerable because like that's been on my mind and I haven't been able to do it I would advise you don't do it while you're in an argument. You always have to approach from a calm, safe space. You always have to make your partner feel that they are safe to respond to you and to talk about how they are feeling about that situation, okay? If you come at someone and you try to be vulnerable but you are screaming and yelling and saying, I've been so hurt and I'm so hurt and you're like losing your mind, that person while what you're saying might what you if you were to script what you said and and if you were to write it down you might look at every sentence and be like everything i'm saying is so valid it's so raw it's so true however if you're coming from a place of intense anger or in like these intense you know um energy that you're throwing at your partner they are going to react to your body language and not your words okay So they're going to feel threatened and they're going to be like, I'm under attack right now. No matter what that person's saying, I'm under attack right now. But somebody who I'm very close to, they're literally screaming and yelling at me. So I now need to defend myself. So what happens with that person is they'll go into some sort of defensive mode. They'll pull out their defense mechanisms where it's yelling back, completely shutting down because they don't want to instigate it further. And they feel that, oh, if I say this, you're then going to feel this. If I say that, so I might as well just shut up. And then they feel that they absolutely cannot, you know, engage in a proper conversation with you so you always have to find a time where you feel the calmest calm and ready and you pick the right moment for your partner as well then you can sit them down and you can say you know what there's something that I'd love to talk to you about and I don't think I've ever really expressed it properly or, or maybe I've expressed it but I feel I need to express it again for both our sake you know with how you you know whatever how we show our love to each other and I don't think that it that it adds up. I don't think it marries up. I feel like our love languages are off and I'd like to get on the same page with that because when we argue, X, Y, Z happens because when this, and it's always really good to try and invite your partner to contribute to things. So if you're like with Tyrone, if I'm pulling him up on something or if I'm saying, you know, I don't like this or I think that this should be done differently or I think whatever, I will always say two things to him. I say, if you think that you've got a really valid reason as to why this shouldn't be done that way. I want to hear it and I will hear you out. And you might blow my mind and I'd be like, you know what? I've never thought about that. You're right. Keep going. Business as usual. You know, I'll take back what I said. So I always want to hear your reason for doing something because if it's better than mine or if we both agree that one, that there's a third better thing, we can both do that. But I want to come to a mutual thing. I don't want to be like, this is how it should be and that's it. You know, I want, I want him to feel that he can also, and then separate to that, I also say to him, I remind him often, you pull me up on things whenever you need to because I I would much rather speak about the little things when they're little than speak about what was originally a little thing that's now turned into a massive thing because I've been bottling it up for so long and now I resent you for something that you probably didn't even realise that you were doing. Now I'm blowing up at you because I was trying to play happy families but in reality I should have just been really honest with how I felt about these little things, you know. And it could be like mundane things around the house or it could be little things that when you're out – And, you know, someone says something or does something and you think, well, you know, in future, if I give you that look when we're out in public, that can be our look so you know that it's like time for me to go because like I don't feel comfortable. 
being in that space or X, Y, Z. You know, there's so many things that you can open up to your partner about, but it always has to come from a calm, safe space. And I recommend you do the two things. You always say, if you have a really, like if you've got a, what you deem to be a good reason as to why you do it this way or why you don't think we should do that, I want to hear it. I genuinely want to hear you out and I will not interrupt you. So you give them that safe space and then you say to them, please feel comfortable to raise things with me or you know talk about things that you wish I did differently or that I could start doing and then we can start speaking about that now and if I think there's a good reason why I'm not going to do it I'm going to share that with you and it's always about keeping the communication open because often a lot of relationships break down in decades time because of the small things that added up to being absolutely you know like because you weren't you weren't comfortable enough to address the little things when they were little And then it's like 30 years down the track and then one partner turns around and wants to divorce the other partner. And the other partner's like, what the fuck? What? They're divorcing me because of this? And it's the smallest thing in the world. But in reality, it's actually like layer and layer and layer and layer of all these things that were never addressed. And even if they were addressed, they weren't addressed to the extent where both partners really saw where each other was coming from and really tried to put in the effort to change that thing. So if you want to pull your partner up on something or if you want – them to be able to pull you up on something you have to be able to create this vulnerable safe space of like we are both going to hear each other out and I will literally let you talk I'm going to let you finish talking before I then say my piece and you're going to give me space to say my part it's so huge and it's like really confronting for a lot of people that are used to like these confrontational aggressive like encounters with their partners all the time so if you're in a relationship with someone who's always been used to that style of communication like this aggressive or passive aggressive style of communication then it's going to be a bit of a learning curve but that is this vulnerability of like I'm going to be comfortable enough to say this but even more important I'm going to be comfortable enough to hear what you have to say to me and I'm going to not get my walls up about it I'm going to be open and honest and hear what you have to say and that does wonders for a relationship so give that a go give the other things a go about the people that you've got a crush on and friends that you want to get closer to and I hope that this has made you kind of think about vulnerability in a different way I really hope that you've been able to hear this and think I can apply those things in my life and it actually is going to make a difference for me to do these things Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We just have a listener question that I'm going to be answering. Um, So let's get straight into that. Question. Just a question for your podcast. How do you stop being pre-annoyed? I fucking love that you use that term. I just love it so much. Love it. I can't wait to answer this. How do you stop being pre-annoyed? For example, thinking my partner slash friends will do something like cancel plans or not stick to their word, then it puts you in a bad mood. I find myself doing this a bit, especially in relationships. That's a great question. I think a lot of us feel this and nobody wants to admit that we feel this way. Now, pre-annoyance is definitely a thing. Basically what pre-annoyance is, is a mix of like assuming and mind reading kind of blended into one. You're making an assumption and then you are absolutely winding yourself up based on this assumption, and then you are then feeling feelings according to that assumption based on your mind reading, okay? The problem with this is, well, okay, firstly, why is it happening? I believe it would be happening because you've experienced this several times. It would be rare for you to come up with this idea when you've had no evidence of this happening in the past. Like say your, your partner is always punctual, always there, always doing what they're doing, always doing what they say they're going to do. It would be very strange and rare and 
unlikely for you to just get really annoyed that they're going to not show up or they're not going to do it. So my assumption is that your partner and your friends have done things consistently enough to get you in that state of mind thinking they're going to fucking do it again. Here, here it comes, they're going to fucking do it again. That's my belief. So partially it is you catastrophizing in your mind thinking this is happening before it's even happened. But part of it is um, like consistent enough behavior from that person's end to make you feel that way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be predicting this kind of behavior. So if this is the case, then the first thing I would encourage you to do is to, if you haven't already done so, raise it with your partner or your friends. Just say, hey, look, you're cancelling plans pretty often. So I'm just going to put it, put the, you know, put the ball in your court to make plans next time because it's, it's getting a bit boring hearing you cancel the plans again and again. Me like thinking, oh, we're going to do it and then we're not going to do it, you know. Or is there a reason why you're always cancelling plans? Are you too busy? Are you burning out? Are you not available and are you making plans when you know you're not going to be able to follow through with it? You know, just have the blatant conversation. That's one thing you can do. Another thing that you can do is to structure how you speak to this person differently. So I've got a friend who's always late. And when I say late, I mean beyond late to the extent that when I'm going to a dinner, I'll get a message from her being like, yeah, 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 just leaving now. After she had already said, I'm going to be 30 minutes late and I rocked up 30 minutes late and then I'm sitting there waiting for this person to rock up an extra half an hour. So ultimately she ends up being an hour late to things. So I've got the option of being like, that's it, that's fucked, they're rude, they're they're whatever, I'm going to cut. I mean, I do see lateness as being rude, but whatever. I'm like, they're rude, whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, this person has been like that for as long as I've known them and I'm sure well before that. I have a choice of not hanging out with them or hanging out with them. I actually really enjoy hanging out with them. So I'm like, okay, to not infuriate myself and I've made the decision that I want to keep hanging out with them despite the fact that they're always so late. I now say to them, you make the booking and you call me when you leave yours. That way, if they cancel the booking, if they charge your card, it's all on you. I'm just chilling. I'll fucking go down the road and buy myself a Negroni. I don't give a fuck. The stakes are low as fuck when I go out with you because I still want to hang out with you, but it should be on you if we're late, if we miss the booking, if this, if that. You've consistently shown me time and time again that you're just never going to be on time, not even half an hour late, but beyond that. I love you so much, but now you make the booking, you make the call, and when you leave your home, you call me. If you don't call me when you leave your home, you're rocking up alone. But I am not sitting around waiting for you, feeling uncomfortable that our booking's about to be taken away from it. Does that make sense? Like I'm kind of rambling, but I hope that makes sense. You have to restructure how you um, set up your meeting times or how you do things with these people that you normally get annoyed at because you're probably getting so annoyed because they've set it up that way. They have set it up in a way for you to be annoyed, okay? You've probably experienced it so many times that you're like, fuck, they're just going to fucking do this again and I'm going to be sitting there like a moron being annoyed when I knew they were going to be late, okay? So the next thing you need to do and the final thing is to really pay attention and ask yourself. It's a little question prior. Say, is this a valid feeling that I'm feeling based on all their past behavior or am I making an assumption out of thin air? Because you might 
get annoyed because your friend's late once, but normally they're very on time. And just raising awareness to that point being like, no, 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 no. This particular friend is not ever late. Take a big breath. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because they've always respected my time. They've always been on time. It's okay this time. But if this person's always doing it to you, be like, no, fuck, these feelings are valid. I can be annoyed. It's a valid feeling, but I also have to understand that if I want to keep this person in my life, I either have to eat it or I have to set it up in a way, like I just gave you the example before, set it up in a way that it's going to annoy me a lot less, okay? So making them do the plans, making them make the booking, making, you know, set it up in a way that they're the ones that realize and tell them why. Like I told my friend why. I'm like, love you so much, but you are embarrassingly late every time and I'm never, ever going to rock up an hour before you ever again to an event. Love you, but that's, I'm done. So then, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, laugh all you want. It's on you next time. I don't care. I'm not phased by it. And that's what you have to do. You have to be a bit more hard up about it. You've got to be more of a hard ass and say, this is the situation. I'm never going to be in this position again. So if you want to hang out with me next time, it's got to be in X, Y, Z parameters. Okay? Simple. You're going to find that you're going to be way less annoyed because you've kind of taken ownership of your time again. A lot of the reason why you are annoyed is because you feel completely powerless in the situation. They've left you hanging and now you're kind of like, fuck, I could have been doing something else with my time or, you know, I freed up this night. Another thing when it comes to cancelling plans, you've got to say, look, give your friend a deadline of when they're going to commit to the plan. And if the friend keeps cancelling, even after that, even after them committing on the deadline – Say, okay, like, yes, you've made the commitment, but in two days' time, you really have to commit now. If they still keep cancelling after that, then from now on say, look, I can't really lock something in with you. If I'm not doing anything that day, I'd love to come, but I'm not going to lock it in uh, because I want to keep that night free because you've always cancelled on me. So I'm going to keep that night free in case something else comes up because you're going to have to be my second option. Love you so much, but that's just how it's going to be until you can prove to me that you can commit and you can make this fun. I'm not saying sit your friend down and fucking go hell for leather at them. You can make it fun. I joke with my, it's, I mean, it's not a joke. I'm being serious, but I make it really lighthearted with my friends. I'm like, guys, love you so much, but you need to be parented when it comes to this. And these are the parameters and they just eat it. They laugh and they're like, oh my God, I'm fucked. And I'm like, yes, you certainly are, but it's fine. Okay. So that's what I recommend you do in that situation. Hopefully that answered your question and hopefully you can implement some of this and feel less annoyed or less pre-annoyed before someone even does something. Because the reason you're feeling that is because they've obviously given you some sort of ammunition to feel that way. It would be very unlikely or strange for you to feel that way out of the blue when they've never given you reason to feel that way. Amazing. Hopefully that helped. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, Hopefully you can share that with somebody. You can apply that to your life. As always, remember, be kind to your brain. Be kind to yourself. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.